I want to know everything there is to know about you. I am going to introduce me. You must have spotted her by now. She's always there. Don't I deserve love? Somebody has to like me best. For all the little boys and girls who look like me watching tonight, <laughs> this is the beacon of hope and possibilities. This is proof that dreams dream big and dreams do come true. And ladies, don't let anybody tell you you are ever past your prime. Never give up. Hello, and welcome to this very special re-release, a republishing of an older episode um, to celebrate an incredibly exciting Oscar win for Best Actress, which just happened as we're recording the day, uh, well, today, really, because, yeah. <laughs> well, you've slept, I've not, but um, where we are in the UK is still Oscar day in a way. Um, Michelle Yeoh has won Best Actress for Everything, <laughs> Everywhere, All at Once, which is properly exciting. Very exciting. What a moment. Um, one, I mean, we didn't release this episode that long ago, it, only back in November, but even then, um, I think we were very trepidatious about the potential that she, she had. We knew she was going to be in the conversation. I think she was always in the conversation since the film came out at the beginning of last year. But even in November, we were like, no, it'll be Kate or whomever, whomever. So it was so yeah. exciting to see her uh, win the award last night. I mean, lots of love for everything, ever all at once across the board. But this was the one that you and I certainly were most anticipating her winning. And thankfully, she did. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, totally appreciate people who would support other nominees um, or people oh, yeah. that weren't even nominated. But to have Michelle Yeoh in an, you know, an action film in a way, but a queer film in this Asian-focused film, in this female-centered film, winning and succeeding, I think is, pro is properly exciting. Um, in a film that really does feel like a new kind of way of storytelling. I mean, it's formulaic in terms of its structure in a way, but in terms of how it's told, it is thrilling. So, yeah, totally, totally delighted for everything, everywhere, all at once. Most of the winners, to be honest. We had a great old time yes, watching. Yes, it was um, good. The only, time, <laughs> the only time we both jumped was Michelle Yeoh winning, because even yesterday, I wouldn't <laughs> have thought she was going to win. I just didn't think... I just think you would have gone with a more traditional winner. That's not to say they were better or worse. I think that's all subjective. But I thought they were going to go with Kate Blanchett because that's a much more sort of traditional Oscar-y role to focus on. Um, and now Kate just has more amazing performances that have not Oscar um, winning uh, connected to them, like Carol, um, yeah. like whatever else you want to mention. Um, Shardy has two. She'll be grand. Um but yeah, really delighted. So we thought we'd re-release this, let you um, get to know Michelle a bit better because there are many gems. There's highs and lows. Um, I think from re-listening to the episode, it's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which would really stand out to us in terms of Michelle Yeoh's performance and which if you have not seen, Lord, go out and watch. If you're in yes. London, I think the Prince Charles are, is showing it um, on actual film as well over the next few weeks. 
So yeah, please do enjoy this episode. Yeah, thank you for listening, and yay for the far too long to happen first Asian winner of Best Actress. Congratulations, Michelle Yu. Enjoy the episode, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, everyone celebrate, everyone everywhere celebrate Michelle. (laughs) That's all we want. And as Malala said in that pretty awkward joke with Jimmy Kimmel, let's also have peace. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I only talk about peace. Yeah, and... Just to add, Brendan Fraser, who we also did much like like early last year, is also a winner. And there's a link below if you want to listen to him and, and his career. Um, we also were very happy for Brendan. But Michelle, we're gay men. We love yes, women. Yes, I know. Exactly. <laughs> we focus on Michelle. Yay, Brendan. Thank you all for listening again and enjoy the episode. His heart cannot take it, especially after such a long flight. You want him to come all the way from China to die like that? He's not going to die. That's not what I said when I said I want to... Hello, and welcome to the Don't Know Her podcast. I'm Michael. And I'm Scott. And we are here, as always, to talk about an actor who we want everything for. We want everything, everywhere, all at once. Exactly. That is exactly what we want. Um, All at once. And actually... This fits in really well with what we're doing with these last three, uh, last three episodes of 2022 because it feels like this person, Michelle Yeoh, is kind of getting everything, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. Do you know, we have her in one of the most successful films of the year, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which we will say many times during this podcast. Mm-hmm. And we also have her in the new Paul Feig film that's gone on Netflix, School of Good and Evil. So what an amazing year for Michelle. And what a pleasure as, you know, film buffs that's, you know, watch particularly actresses um, in their highs and lows. But to watch her do so well, like she's so deserving and it's, it's just been so wonderful. Yes, um, a hard agree to all of those things, and especially off the back of such an exciting film. So yeah, I think this is the the rise again of Michelle Yeoh. The rise again. I would absolutely love that if they make a biopic. That can be the sequel. The rise again. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Gabrielle's going to sing the theme tune, I believe. She signed on. Oh my god, that would be my dream. Um, I actually think Michelle Yeoh has really great music in her movies. Sorry, this is just something I've watching no, a lot please. of them very Do, quickly. Tell me I think more. They're absolutely beautiful. No, just like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, oh. like Tan Dune soundtrack. Um, and also the song, which I've totally forgotten the name of in that, um, Tomorrow Never Dies, of course, has a great <laughs> yes, um, theme. <laughs> um, I think um, Yes Madame even has great, <laughs> great sense of musicality to it. So, so yeah, overall, pretty good. Um, but that's not what we're, we're not here to talk about the music in Michelle Yeoh's film. We're here to talk about Michelle Yeoh. And when would you have first... Uh, known who Michelle Yeoh was. Oh, go on, take a guess. 
Well, I would assume it was Memoirs of a Geisha because you absolutely love the novel. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, you were under a rock for all these other movies. Yes. The only time I'd ever seen Michelle was in Memoirs of a Geisha, which I do believe to be the, the strongest, certainly. I don't know about other words I describe it as, but the strongest film um, in history. It's the best probably. Japanese film ever, Oh I my think. God. And, <laughs> and I've never actually seen a more Japanese film. I'd also say that about it. <gasps> Well, yeah. Um, no, the answer, of course, is uh, tomorrow never dies. How could it not be for a little straight boy of my age? <laughs> <laughs> is this a musical number to start your like musical theatre life God. biopic? Two gins and I'm away. My face is flushed and I'm ready to talk about Michelle. Uh, tomorrow never dies. The eighteenth instalment in the James Bond franchise and we have Michelle Yeoh reinventing what it means to be a Bond girl riding motorbikes side saddling through the town yeah um, not taking any shit handcuffing him to drain pipes p- mm. mid shower I don't need to have sex with you right now that's for later <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I've got things to do like be attacked by a group of people, um, or the, isn't it like Chinese? Under anyway, there's a lot of uh, action. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty exciting. Like, yeah, tomorrow never dies would have been mine too, and I think like I would have been around ten, and I'm sure I would have, as an, another uh, heterosexual little boy, been brought <laughs> to a birthday party of heterosexual boy to like watch as a group this film a party of heterosexual boy so it was just you and one other boy oh Oh, no well i don't know how many i went to a small school um but i'm sure there was more than two of us um and i like i'm sure what happened like they were like like laughing or enjoying terry hatcher dropping her address for absolutely no reason in a very different way to me um, but, but it was <laughs> a like, great get film. Get rid of that ugly thing. Get rid of that ugly slip. Oh, I love her dress. I, I love the feathers do. on the side. It, it does. It confuses me because literally Pierce Brosnan like drops the sides to her like just over her shoulders, and then it just falls to the ground, which seems really impractical for a dress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but magical for cinema. Um, a a be- beautiful woman in a beautiful gown and. <laughs> You know, beautiful hair, beautiful necklace. There's nothing. I I'm obsessed with Terry Hatcher in that film. But um, <laughs> but Michelle welcome Yeo. back to the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us for the Terry Hatcher podcast. <laughs> oh, I'll have my way one day. We'll we'll talk about Terry another of time. Course. But um, yeah. I just I remember it, and I remember. Um, I love the idea of having this very, you know, feminine, like in hindsight, I'd say very quite badly drawn female character in a Bond franchise with Terry Hatcher's Paris, um, who like survives for like three scenes at most. And then you have Michelle Yeoh, who was so like powerful and independent or seemed to be for my age of the films I was watching. So, yeah, I really I really liked her in that. And then I was really been excited about her since I properly got into films. So like. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon would have been at the time where I was properly getting into movies, would have been the first year I watched the Oscars, as I've probably mentioned before on the podcast. And trying, to, like, watching her career as it went, like, trying to break more into, like, mainstream Hollywood with things like Memoirs of a Geisha, um, or even The Lady, like, talking about, very openly, about the role she was being offered when, you know, she was getting older. And I just find her so interesting as a person. And as a kind of a figure, like a a mainstay figure in filmmaking, because she seems to have such a positive influence. And 
she seems to have this responsibility, but she also is very kind of lightweight with it in that she seems to just enjoy her job too. She just seems such a joy and she's such a joy to watch and the projects she makes are usually entertaining, even if, you know, they're not great. And she's always solid, I would say, in what she's doing. Mm, and not solid. better. I mean, God, she's amazing in so many things. But For at the worst, sure. she's solid. <laughs> yes, but I think also at her best, she's solid and then some. I think that's something yeah. about her presence on screen is that she is solid, reliable, uh, charismatic, to be fawned over. She's normally put in positions of authority or even when not, you get a sense of authority, regal, presence, strong and we will come back to it to the end, but it's why everything, everywhere, all at once is so fascinating because it is allowing her to move very, very much away from something that she has spent a lot of time playing in films before. Yeah, and it's interesting, like, you know, there's certain things when you look about what she could have been cast and what's discussions, but like Kill Bill, like Quentin Tarantino very openly was inspired by Michelle Yeoh and her screen presence for the character that Lucy wow. Liu plays but was very open about there's absolutely no way Michelle Yeoh could play that character and believably be beaten by Uma Thurman. <laughs> Michelle Yeoh would win go. in that fight. And that's interesting. You know, you're like, yeah, that's amazing. And that's one of, you know, she's very vocal about this too, but being this sort of strong female presence that doesn't really have a place in Hollywood cinema, sadly, um, but yeah, you're dead right. When when it does work, she is incredible. And we're so lucky that Daniels um, developed everything ever all at once to not star Jackie Chan, but to star Michelle Yeoh instead. Yeah, um, 10 out of 10 choice. And one I'm confident they will only be more and more delighted about the more they think about it. For go, sure. Michelle, go. Or as Jamie Lee Curtis likes to uh, allegedly rap when she sees Michelle Yeoh is Michelle Yo Michelle Yo. But I mean, I wouldn't call that a rap. I would call that um, an annoyance. <laughs> a problem. <laughs> In fact, I have a statement here from Michelle Yeoh that says that was a problem. <laughs> that says, Jamie, stop. <laughs> Jamie Lee who? <laughs> Oh, no, we we love you, Jamie Lee Curtis, and we're very excited for your role in the film we speak of, too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, should we dip into the the career and life and world of um, Ms. Michelle? Michelle, yo! Michelle, yo! Yo! <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So, Michelle, yo was born on the 6th of August 1962 in Ipoh, the capital city of the Malaysian state of Perak. Her family are Malaysian Chinese of Hokkien and Cantonese ancestry. Yo was a keen dancer from an early age, taking up ballet at the age of four, stating later that it was truly what she wanted to do. She said she wanted to have her own school and choreograph as dance was her world. She moved to the UK with her parents as a teenager, enrolling in a boarding school here. Later, Yo would go on to major in ballet at the Royal Academy of Dance in London, 
but a spinal injury meant she had to give up on her dream. And it's very heartbreaking hearing her talk about that moment where a doctor was sat in front of her and basically watching her dream fall around her as he said, mm. it's not something that you should be doing uh, anymore. But after a while of wrestling with this blow, she went on to focus on choreography. <laughs> I thought you were saying wrestling as if <laughs> I can't be a dancer and I've got this injury, but you know what? I could be a wrestler. <laughs> I'm going to take up wrestling instead. Why not? Same, same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, but after wrestling with lots of men, lots of women in the ring, made a big time, <laughs> but also with the um, hardship of being told her dreams were shattered, uh, she went on to actually focus on choreography. So she took the advice of her teachers who said, you don't need to focus on the physical side of dance, why don't you move into choreography and teaching? Um, and alongside this, she also went on to minor in drama, but initially actually hating it, uh, feeling consumed by stage fright whenever she was asked to perform uh, or read more than five lines, which is very, very surprising uh, with the hindsight we have. Um, yeah. So later, she received a BA degree in creative arts with that minor in drama. At the age of 20, Yo won the Miss Malaysia World Contest and was then the representative for Malaysia at the Miss World Pageant in 1983. After travelling to compete and win in further pageants in Australia, she was cast in a commercial alongside Jackie Chan, which is a fun full circle moment when we get to the end of her career but we'll we'll pause there for now um and this commercial is how she would then catch the attention of casting directors in hong kong and gain a film contract with a new film production company there yo's film career commenced in martial arts cinema in hong kong with her first two credits coming in the owl versus bombo and twinkle twinkle lucky stars in 1984 and 1985. Um, but this was initially a struggle for her too. Off the back of her struggles with drama, there was a struggle here too. Working within a fast-moving film environment without being able to speak Cantonese uh, as well as she'd wanted to, uh, which was the first language that was used in Hong Kong cinema. But she did, however, say that she enjoyed it from the get-go. Um, but also describing it as a man's world. Uh, but it was here that she understood the link between martial arts and her dance background, um, which led execs to notice her skill set and push her towards bigger opportunities within action cinema. She landed her first lead in only her third film credit, which is Yes, Madame, from 1985. This film was directed by Corey Young, and was considered to be the first of the girls with guns subgenre, which basically boils down to films where female protagonists are embroiled in shootouts throughout, alongside other gunplay, stunts, and martial arts. Gunplay. This is <laughs> wonderful. Uh, and this is something which, yes, Madame certainly has a lot of. Um, in this film, along with her other film roles uh, that had come so far, Yo performed a lot of her own stunts. She would train for eight hours a day for this one in particular to prepare. Up until this point, including this film, she had been credited as Michelle Kahn, 
which is an alias which was chosen for her um, by the studio as they felt it would be more marketable to a Western audience. So mm. Michelle Kahn, mm. who would then go on to be Michelle Yeoh in Yes, Madame. Now, this is a film that you pointed me towards, Michael, after watching it yourself. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, so the story of Yes, Madame is basically Michelle is this uh, senior inspector and she works with another more junior inspector played by Cynthia Rothrock um, to get hold of a microfilm which has been mistakenly taken by a group of thieves that are pretty... um, silly like they they they're, they have no like st- strategy and the, yeah i just thought her presence it made it clear why a this would kickstart a sub a subgenre of you know girls with guns as you say and um, but also why people would want more of her specifically she is just so fun and i mean it is a lead role but there's not there's plenty of scenes where she's not even in it but you miss her presence i feel like and when she's there, there's like this really fun energy. <laughs> For instance, it, o- it opens with her wearing absolutely brilliant hipster glasses. It, uh, a library is there, or a bookshop and they're, you know, they're undercover. And there's a, like a, a man flashing them. <laughs> And like they arrest them and it's just a really fun, silly set piece. It, it was a real enjoyable, entertaining treat, but I thought she was like a proper star. Yeah, no, agreed. It's no wonder that this would then grow on to launch her in other things. She feels so solid here from the get-go. It's no wonder that you can sense her natural flair for martial arts cinema given the link she'd made between that and her dance background, I think it's super, super clear. Because, you know, she's doing a lot of stunts. She's throwing herself around the place. These kicks and punches, feeling like they would have had to be incredibly neatly choreographed for her own safety as much as anything else. Um, I think, sadly, perhaps a little underused, given it's the apparent beginnings of girls and guns subgenre, you would then think that uh, she would be at the very, very forefront of this alongside her co-star... Cynthia Rothrock, yeah. Cynthia Rothrock. Um, but it's no wonder that you say that this is the, the launching point. It's it's a, a fun time for her. Uh, I can't say I've seen much like Hong Kong action cinema. Have you? No, no. So this was particularly um, exciting for me, really. I mean, I would, because it was so escapist and it was just really, it was just really entertaining. And I guess when it comes to Hollywood cinema, I think I find it harder to detach from it. And sometimes I think they're being a bit overly sincere with, you know, Iron Man. It's like he his heart is only there because of you know, bullets being saved by gravity from entering it, like, there's only so much sadness I can feel for this privileged man. (laughs) But the films tend to tell you that we should be sorry for him at the end of every film. Whereas this film, it's not like that. It's like, people are thrown around, (laughs) like, literally, anything is possible, and you believe anything, but it also has, like, a sense of 
consequence. I, it's just really, it's really fun and entertaining to watch, yeah. So no, I don't know many martial arts films, but I would happily take any suggestions listeners would want to throw our way. Yeah, and the end made me laugh in particular because there's this whole thing, you feel like it's done, and then the final 30 seconds to one minute of it are then like, ha now we're going in this direction. Like, oh, okay, so you're lining it up for many, many yeah. sequels. Um, terrific. So glad we've gone through this adventure. Uh, but definitely one I was glad to watch primarily to see Michelle Yeoh in her beginnings in acting and then thinking about how much she has evolved as a performer, it was truly fascinating to watch this young, incredibly fresh-faced um, version of her doing all these wild things and then comparing it to the things she would do later, both similarly in that she very much played an action star for a long time, um, mm -hmm. but then also how her dramatic chops evolved immensely um, to all of our benefit. Yeah. So if we then leap on from Yes Madame, uh, from that point in time in her career, she only made three more films before she retired from acting. <gasps> oh my goodness. So that was in 1987. She'd actually married one of the producers that she was working with, um, Dixon Poon. But luckily for us, and alongside a divorce, I'm maybe not luckily for her, I don't know. But <laughs> oh she God. returned to acting in 1992 um, to star in Police Story 3, Supercop. I think known primarily as Supercop, certainly in the US. Alongside Jackie Chan, there's that name again. Which would be the first film where her real voice would actually be heard on film. Instead of dubbed versions that we'd previously heard in any work that she had done. In chatting with GQ Magazine, you also remembers the danger of the stunts they were performing, saying that they did not tend to rehearse with the ideology, if you were going to do it, you might as well shoot it. And with that, found herself in some rather uh, tricky, tricky situations on the set of Supercop. Um, following this, she went on to work in a variety of further Hong Kong martial arts films, which we would see being a staple that she would return to throughout her career. Um, and these would include The Heroic Trio and Tai Chi Master from 1983 and Wing Chun in 1994. But her first big break in Hollywood came as a Bond girl, no less, in 1997's Tomorrow Never Dies, where she played Wei Lin opposite Piers Brosnan's 007. Yo impressed many of the cast and crew on the set of Tomorrow Never Dies, as once again, against advice, she performed all of her own fight work, breaking the mould of the conventional Bond girl seen many, many times before. And it was her choice to take it seriously that was part of the secret of her success with this and that impression that was left on others. Again, I guess she was looking to shake up something considered to be a man's world. Um, Yo has spoken about feeling blessed that the writers gave the, her the character of Waylin um, and that she had far more agency than we had previously seen in the series. Yo was then asked to bring her own stunt team with her, which created a sense of comfort for Barbara Broccoli and other producers to allow her this freedom to perform the more physical sides of the role. Um, and it was in Tomorrow Never Dies as well that we see her revert to Michelle Yo in her credits. 
Yes, and we'll kind of, I assume now that's a trivia question. People would not know her, particularly, say, in the UK and Ireland and America as anything but Michelle Yeoh. Um, And Tomorrow Never Dies, no matter what happens for the future of the Bond series, Wei Lin is a character that will forever be on montages and be celebrated because, you know, we still are starved of female superheroes, of female characters that have that sort of agency. If I didn't know better, I'd say you were following me around, Mr. Bond. Yeah, I have to admit, though, we seem to have developed a certain attachment to each other. Hopefully, not for long. I mean, by today's standards, Bond does come in and save her maybe too often, but she also does stand up for herself quite a lot, and we, I think everyone knows, watching that film, that Bond actually isn't required. She could easily solve the problem herself because this story is dealing with maybe one of the weakest villains in a Bond film so I'm not a huge Bond fan but Jonathan Price is the villain here and he is a media tycoon sort of person who is basically putting countries against each other for you know the ability to make money out of bad headlines now that's all believable and a fascinating sort of topic, but he is just so he's just so lacking in presence. I mean, I love Jonathan Price, but there's nothing about him that strikes me as intimidating or scary. And um, he's a bit of a lech because he does he, like come on to Michelle Yeoh and stuff like. But but he's apart from being a lech, you're kind of like it's only a matter of time before he stopped. Like there's nothing going to stop Bond and. Um, Michelle Yeoh's character here um, apart from this hot German guy who is bleach blonde hair and wants to throw people around and I wouldn't mind that would be fine <laughs> so yeah I mean that, that's the story basically they, the, the, you know Michelle Yeoh and James Bond team up to fight um, Jonathan Price, and I would never forgive myself if I did not mention that Jonathan Price's wife was Terry Hatcher, who is incredibly expendable, <laughs> basically comes in. She she her introduction is she slaps Pierce Brosnan, establishes that they've known each other because she asks, "Do you sleep, still sleep with a gun under your pillow?" Tell me, James, do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow? <laughs> Which is repeated so often. Then in a, in another scene when Jonathan J- Price like that little slut, we better kill her, and it's just all very silly. It's just a very silly. Film And I think, say, for instance, when you compare it to Yes, Madame, I think Yes, Madame is like hitting all everything about it is in the same sort of register. Whereas Tomorrow Never Dies is trying really hard to be very serious about what the villain is doing. But because it he he is so like unbelievably like kind of silly and. I don't know, has no presence. You're kind of like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, let's just watch this really cool bike scene, uh, this chase scene. We don't need to watch anything else here. Um, but I'm not a Bond fan, so I can't really speak to whether this holds up um, against the other films or anything like that. But you oh, really like Bond, Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it would have been kind of the Pierce Brosnan era that I started to discover the world of Bond. Yes, I've seen them all many times. Tomorrow Never Dies 
is a film that I revisited not that long ago and at that point in time realised it wasn't as strong as my fond memories held for it. Uh, yeah. And watching it this time, that was only emphasised more. I think the real delight in it is Michelle Yeoh. Terry Hatcher. And Terry Hatcher. Um, <laughs> and also, actually, you'll be delighted to know that your favourite line, um, do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow, was was filmed only a stone's throw from where you are right now. <gasps> Oh my god, it's is that in print, print works? works? Yes. No way. <laughs> oh my god, I'm going to turn up um, before it closes as um, in that outfit, and I th- I feel like everyone will know what I'm doing. Oh my god, absolutely. Exactly I feel like you'll be as. one of many dressed in that outfit uh, on any given night in Printworks London. Um, <laughs> um, so exciting for you. I know this was. Um, always a favourite of yours, however. Did did it live up to yeah. your memory even as a non-Bond fan? So, it is... It is... It, it, no, no, I think it's pretty bad. I mean, I... I mean, it's, you know, it's fun. It's a fun film. But no, I think my memory was very much focused on the women and the women having more to do. And, like, Michelle does have a lot, but she turns up kind of halfway through it in a, in a way. And Terry Hatcher is someone I will go to my grave saying deserved a way bigger career than she had. And there's various reasons why that might have happened. But she is so charismatic in a paper-thin character that is really just there to be beautiful and to be killed. Like, that's all that is is happening there. Um, so, no. And I, I, again, like Jonathan Price, but that's so bad. I was reading that Anthony Hopkins was the first choice for that part, which makes total sense. But I still don't think it's it's the performance. I think it, I think it's the way it's scripted. Um, so no, but I don't know if many Bond films would hold up if I watched them again. Perhaps for me personally, because I'm, you know, I I don't want to see women murdered for no reason. I don't want men to lust over women and be pervy. You know, I want to see consent. I want to see like proper thing. You know, proper characters developed. Um, so maybe the older ones are not for me now. No, and that's fair enough. Um, but I will also say, I think, I'm not lying when I say that I feel Michelle Yeoh did break the mould in many ways and, and brought yep. a lot of agency to the character. Like you said, very self-sufficient. Bond is not needed. But on this rewatch, I was like, oh, but she annoyingly is still set up in this way of being more feeble than she even ought to be. It's sort of like, they give her this power, they give her this strength, they give her this moment, but then they kind of pull the rug out a little bit. Even on those very exciting motorbike sequences and all of this, it's kind of a bit like, oh, it still has to be led by Bond. It couldn't be led by her. Like, she should be driving the fucking thing and he should be perched on the bike. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, doing all of that shit. So I was at all... I thought she was even stronger. And they sexualize it so much. Like, it's so sexualized unnecessarily. And I was watching an interview with that she did with some, like, pervy, like, film reviewer guy uh, back in 97. And the way he was, he was like, how how was it being on that so close to Pierce for all those shooting days on that motorcycle? You must have got pretty close. And you're like, go fuck yourself. Um, but but it, you know the film is leaning in to allow people to th- to think that way, and you know it's not. I don't know. It's o- overtly sexualized, and I guess that's what Bond is and was. But it is a relief to see, for instance, um, um, 
I can't think of the names of either of the actors who are in the most recent Bond film, but the the Bond girls there, the one in Cuba and then the new agent, but they're very much, Lashana Lynch, is it? And Ana Mm -hmm. de Armas. Like they're very much in their own way sexualized, but they are dictating the terms of how that's perceived and how that interacts with Bond. And Tomorrow Never Dies is in no, no, not interested in that, those sorts of dynamics. And fair enough, maybe, I don't know. Maybe Pierce Brosnan is just so attractive that, um, <laughs> that you would allow him to, to behave that way. No, absolutely. Someone who I work with actually told me they were um, related to Pierce Brosnan today. So another exciting little tidbit. Oh, my God. Well, he's just from down the road from where I live, really. Oh, my God, so, so are you. Originally. <laughs> Yeah, but I imagine no. You're all family there. Um, We are, Um, but yes, I'll never rewatch it again properly unless we do Terry. (laughs) Well, fair enough. So maybe we will have to. But Michelle, obviously, very memorable to us both. It was her first turn, and very glad that she had her Bond girl moment for many reasons, not least that it was her success in Tomorrow Never Dies that allowed her to have so much more eyes on her. And very importantly, the eyes of director Ang Lee, uh, which then ultimately led to her casting as um, Yushu Lian in 2000's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which Lee directed. Crouching Tiger took the world very much by storm. I mean, it was a massive deal, amongst other accolades, being the first foreign language film to break $100 million in the US. Um, Yo, as uh, a Malay and English speaker who had learned Cantonese for her work in Hong Kong cinema, was unable to speak Mandarin, which was what was going to be dictated for Crouching Tiger. It's the only language spoken in the film. Um, So what she did is she went about learning it phonetically. And you would never know it from watching, or certainly not to my eye, you wouldn't know it. Um, But that is how she went about preparing for the film, was learning the whole language, and it's a It's a long film and she's in it a heck of a lot, uh, doing all of that phonetically, which I find wildly impressive. Um, Amongst Crouching Tiger's award successes, um, it got a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars. But Yo very excitingly gained uh, awards attention too, getting a BAFTA nomination for Best Leading Actress. Um, But I mean, this truly is... A, a magical film. I hadn't seen this for a very, very long time, so I was so glad to go back and rewatch it because I think I've been blighted a little bit by parodies um, of this kind of um, Asian cinema for a long time, where you see people just running in the air for far too long to the point where I start to think, oh, maybe. Don't talk it's about a... House of Flying Jackers that way. <laughs> oh, well, that's not the parody I would hope. I've not actually seen House of Flying Jackers. Um, <laughs> oh, no, it's good. Sorry. I should make it very clear. <laughs> I wasn't joking. I do think it's good. But yes, I mean, there was a whole, like, it inspired a whole new sort of type of film that could be shown to western audiences that we wouldn't have seen before it opened a door for sure yeah absolutely yeah i mean in many many ways it's it still feels so important and both for its impact in western cinema but just in its own right it is just it is a magical film it's incredibly poetic it's no wonder to me it's so loved um but i should dive into giving a gist of, of what it's about. So Michelle plays uh, Julianne, like I mentioned. So she's basically 
given a sword to take to an old friend um, of hers by, I guess who we later discover is, is the unspoken love um, of her life, um, who is a warrior, uh, Lee Mu Bei, who is played by Chow Yun-fat here. Um, so he gives her the sword, basically he's saying, I'm not going to be a warrior anymore, please take this to our friend, and he's going to be the custodian of this very important sword, the Green Destiny. So she travels, she gives him the sword, but then the sword gets stolen, and what happens is she um, and Chow Yun-fat are basically then tasked with recovering the stolen sword, and along the way they encounter an enemy of his, uh, the fabulously named Jade Fox, who he will never forgive for killing his master. Um, so all of these people coming into play uh, to, th to throw things off, but it's quite the journey. Um, beautiful, beautiful film. What are, have you, I take it this is one that you'd visited before as well? Yes, this is a time when this was released. I didn't see in the cinema, but on video, as it was, um, I would have watched all the Oscar films that year. Like, it would have been the first time, really, I was engaging with the awards ceremony. And I watched this and loved it. Like, I will say also, I knew who Ang Lee was and loved um, Sense Sensibility. And I... I think it's really amazing um, that he, after Sense Sensibility, after making, you know, international films, um, and I mean that, it's like British films, American films, uh, they, he's like making all these different stories, but with this sensibility that is kind of like a strength between them, or a, a, like a, a thread between them, then bringing it to this story in the most beautiful sort of way. I loved it when I watched it before and I kind of thought when I was coming back to it now, oh, maybe it's aged, maybe, you know, special effects or it feels a bit twee or a bit, you know, of a moment that's not now. But I was immersed in this wonderful, romantic celebration of love and life and, you know, also female empowerment. Like that's really at the core to me about like between yeah. Michelle's Ayo's character and Zhang Zi's character about what is freedom, what do they want, how can this society, which is quite repressed, how can they fit into it and how can they get what they want out of it? And, you know, it's not just women, female characters that have to go through that in this story, but I just was so taken by it. And it was also so exciting. Like, the action scenes are exciting, but there's also moments where, like, you know, Zhang Zi, who is... Um, identity is not exactly known to Michelle Yeoh but Michelle Yeoh is kind of on to her in terms of she must be the person that stole the sword maybe so she Michelle Yeoh like pushes a cup of tea off the table and Zhang Zi goes for it so quickly and then you know the jig is up and to me, that's as exciting as nearly anything else you could watch in cinema. And then it's also really touching. There's a scene in particular, and this is really from Michelle's character, Ancho Young-fat, um, where he brushes against her hand. And it's the first time they've touched, despite their the genuine sort of overwhelming love for each other. <laughs> Ba 
。慕白，这世间不是每一件事都是虚幻的。刚才你握住我的手，你能感觉到它的真实吗 ？And the way they talk about it is just so gorgeous. Like it's just like yeah, like oh. You know, everyone deserves to be happy, and this society shouldn't be so repressed. It's just like um, like Ang Lee described it as Jane Austen meets Bruce Lee, and I think that's a perfect way to describe the film. So yeah, I would recommend it to anybody. I think it's wonderful, and in many ways, it holds up even better now when you look at the films coming out. Like I don't think we get these sort of mature dramas that are also action films that are also romantic, also. Caring about you know social norms and trying to subvert them, I just think it's a brilliant film. Yeah, I, you know what? Really weirdly, in thinking about it, I didn't come up with the Angley connection to like Sense and Sensibility, or other ro- rom- romantic films he's done, Brokeback Mountain. But most importantly, Sense and Sensibility. I mean the the sweep and the scale of the romance in this is just sublime. It's so wonderful, and it's when I say that, it's that makes it sound like it's. Could be oppressively so. They're always there, but no, it's not. It's also very、um, gentle and thoughtful and sweet. But because of the scope of the film, it does just make the romantic sweep of it, and then the ultimate moment for our characters, including Michelle, it's so so beautiful and so sweet. And all of the things that she does get to play here, I think, it is far more complex than it could read on the surface. It is also interested in her conflict with、um, Zizang's character, who is from an aristocratic background and very privileged,、mm-hmm. and Michelle、yeah. Yeoh's character's fear because you know the man she loves is taking an interest in her, not in that way, but is saying you know she's talented, we need to coach her, train her, and all of this stuff. But she does fear being sidelined, and I think that takes on many levels with the the romantic element, but also that class divide and privilege overtaking、um, and giving somebody an advantage. There was so much more going on in this film than I remembered, but also those things I kind of joked about at the beginning with those movements. They are even so beautiful. Them, them in the air,、Gorgeous. kind of dancing off of walls and treetops and all of these things. It's so wonderful to see. It's such a special thing.、Um, loved、mm. it. Really, really loved going back to watch、um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. A really, really great film, which I think you could recommend to anyone because it plays in so、yeah. many different ways and has so many strengths. And. I a part of me feels like Michelle Yeoh would have got an Oscar nomination if the Oscars haven't historically had an aversion to actors of Asian Asian descent being nominated. Do you know, like I don't. It's wild to me she was not nominated for the Oscar. And I mean, there's other examples we can talk about. You know, Asian cinema that is celebrated like Parasite. That does not get acting nominations, and that is a strange sort of specific racism that I find wild. When you're watching this performance, you're like, "How could you celebrate this film as one of the biggest Oscar nominees and not find a, a any performance, but particularly this really obvious performance to nominate? Particularly a performance, you know, Eleanor Dashwood, like by Emma Thompson in Sensibility, 
is as good, like they're equally as good as each other. I bet Emma Thompson was easily nominated yeah. for that film for Best Actress. And it's wild that that didn't happen. Um, and just one of the many examples of the Academy ignoring Asian actors. Yeah, that's such a good point. And again, it is it is important to make that connection because you can, because of the director and the nature of what's happening in the in the films. It is a huge error. And one that hopefully films like Parasite or Minari aren't just, oh gosh, we better we better do that now. I hope it is just something which continues as it ought to, as they should be considered, mm-hmm. like any actor, period. It is as simple as that. And it is just daft that they miss these mm-hmm. opportunities um, in 2000. Boo you, Academy. Yeah. Um, if we then move on from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, she maintains that connection, mm. though, um, starring in The Touch in 2002, which was directed by uh, Crouching Tiger's cinematographer, Peter Pau, uh, which brought her also back to Hong Kong cinema once again. Uh, she followed up with another, uh, with Silver Hawk in 2004. Then 2005, you know what's coming here, Michael. That brings along Rob Marshall's Memoirs of a Geisha, which was adapted from the novel of the same name by Arthur Golden. And very interestingly, uh, Steven Spielberg was initially signed yeah. on to direct this film, which I... Well, we can we can get onto that, but it was supposed to be his follow up to Saving Private Ryan, but it was through the encouragement of peers, um, and having to delay other projects he had on the go, like AI, uh, that he stepped down from directing it in two thousand and two. So quite some years later, but did still stay on as a producer and. Very importantly, Mm. before his involvement, this film was set up to be filmed in Japan and starring Japanese-speaking actors. The language was supposed to be... Okay, mm -hmm, I didn't realise. Okay, Exactly, which is very important when reflecting on this film to kind of look at what it did become Mm. um, with its strengths and weaknesses in mind. It drew criticism from many, not least from Japanese and Chinese audiences, who saw it as insensitive to have cast mainly Chinese actors to portray many of the roles uh, within the film. Rob Marshall would then go on to defend his casting choices, um, namely Zizang and Gong Li, who played two of the leads, saying they were chosen for their acting ability and star power, not their race. Um, Michelle as well, um, obviously of uh, Malaysian descent, uh, stars as Mameha in the film, which is also a very, very prominent role, uh, serving as the yeah. mentor for the lead character, basically. Step into the light. I see water in you. Does that displease you? Water is powerful. It can wash away earth, put out fire, and even destroy iron. But you have not drawn on those strengths, have you? So, it is... It's a it's a kind of toughie to talk about this film without diving into that stuff. The involvement of Spielberg, what that changed in terms of how the film was going to look, mm. and then 
it being picked up by the director of Chicago and Into the Woods. <laughs> yeah, but we also we should flag like the book. You know, it, that sounds great that Spielberg would do that, but the book is not written by a Japanese person. Who it doesn't seem to be, from what I've read, a perfect depiction of geisha or Japan at this time, like pre-war and and then post World War Two. But having said that, perhaps yes, yeah, Spielberg would have done. I mean. I don't know if this would ever have been a film worth three Oscars, which it ultimately mm. won. Um, of course, all like under the line Oscars, but wild that that happened. Um, yeah, I mean, Members of a Geisha is about this young girl who is given a gift from a chairman and she decides, I want that man. So she works her way up through... Japanese society to become a geisha to get the attention of this chairman literally that's his name throughout the whole film right and he's played by Ken Watanabe I should say this little girl grows up to be Zhang Zi um absolutely gorgeous um I mean this is the the film is absolutely gorgeous but as Zhang Zi grows in popularity and power there are people like Gong Li who is in fierce mode wants to tear Zhang Zi down and we have Michelle Yeoh who wants to build Zhang Zi up but only really to piss off Gong Li and all this sort of soap opera melodrama detail um, and there are little moments of like trying to explain what a geisha does and there's like a montage as you can imagine of like you know learning how to move a fan and how to move your hand and that's all what Michelle's character is really brought in to, to do and I don't, I don't know, like, it's the sort of movie, like, if we take away all of the sort of, say, political, political correctness, or even thinking about what is the story, who is telling the story, I don't think it really is an entertaining film. Um, no. It has really solid performances, <laughs> but the performances are also just there to cater some story which seems wild and uninteresting you know and the idea of this person wanting the chairman and whether the chairman or not wants to be engaged with them is not interesting and I feel like someone like Ang Lee for instance understands that sort of romantic repression this sort of longing for someone but Rob Marshall in this film doesn't really showcase any um, skill at portraying that Um, yeah I just think it's a really flat film that's beautiful looking has a lovely soundtrack by John Williams has you know showcasing actors who are very talented but overall I don't get it I don't I don't understand <laughs> yeah, the film exactly there's there is way more holding this film back than its you know questionable choices when it comes to casting um Rob Marshall I don't think it's unfair to say Despite his successes, and there are very good ones, I will stand up for the fact there are great films yeah. in this catalog. Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins Returns, Chicago. Chicago. Absolutely. That's it. But yeah, if we look at his other things, <laughs> he is a man who does like to dabble in the world of style over substance. And this is, like you say, it is beautiful. There are moments of this film that are so Gorgeous, beautiful. Yeah. However, it is fucking boring. It is boring, boring, boring. Yeah. And it shouldn't be. Yeah. It really shouldn't be boring. There's so much going for it that no. I think it's 
it's confusing. Like you seem to say, you're just baffled by yeah. by how it all kind of came to be and, and what the heck is even going on. Why are we watching this? What is it doing? What's it trying to say? And also, maybe I need to let the small things go, but I truly cannot with contact lenses that do not belong on somebody. They distract me from <laughs> everything yeah. else. Yeah, um, because... What is it? She has like misty eyes. They keep the, the amount of talking about her eyes. But it's like, like, no, oh, she's got now. like, like navy on. blue contact lenses in. It's like, I can't, I cannot take yeah. this seriously as just please someone yeah. take those things out of her face because it's making what otherwise is a gorgeous film. And there's set pieces where um, Zizi yeah. Zang is at the heart of it, especially a dance sequence where she's in these enormously yeah. peculiar platforms. Amazing. And it is beautifully staged and it is an amazing moment but her eyes and it's a huge issue for me but on the flip side moments there's also this other bit where they yeah they they say like this is during world war ii and they're like she has to be a geisha again she needs to entertain these american soldiers and somebody says she has war written on her face and refer to her as if she's like this old haggard woman and you're like she looks exactly yeah. the same as she did pre-war so what there is has going been on? no change at all um the the whole war thing too is very peculiar i mean a big part of i i don't know like it in the novel it surely must be played on much more you know she's carted away at the outbreak of war and when you read about this film it very much talks about a geisha at the outbreak of world war Two and blah 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 <laughs> Basically, she goes away for all of... A, I'm not joking, two or three minutes in the film, and then she's back again. And that's, that's World it. War Two Done. Yeah. Like, what the heck are you talking about? A, a geisha and what she, how she deals with World War Two? She's not fucking there, and she's yeah. only gone for two minutes. Absolutely bananas. Yeah. This film is just a wild mess of all sorts, um, except moments where we get to see Michelle Yeoh flashing her wrists um, to get the attention of boys. Yeah. La la. Do, works every time. So in the tea house, when he's seeking my company instead, I reward him like this, with a glimpse of my wrist. Seeing this demure little trace of naked skin, well, it gives him pleasure. But, you know, Rob Marshall then had to make Nine <laughs> and suffer the consequences yeah. of, of that being the worst film of everybody involved's career. Um, so, yeah, you'd think, you'd think this so is anyway. the, the lowest, but he found a lower place to go. Yeah, he found even more famous people to put in a <laughs> mediocre, confusing film. Oh, um, but, I mean, <laughs> saying all that, am I glad to have seen it? I, I don't know, but I mean, hey, I'm always even glad to dabble in the the bad. Yeah. And I think Gong Li is actually really great in it. And I think in a better, that performance in another sort of film would be terrific. I'd love to see more of Gong Li in general. She's another one I'd love to do in the podcast. Great. Yeah. No, she was absolutely fabulous in it. It's it's definitely not ill-served by its performances. I will give it that as well. I don't think any of the performers or certainly any of the lead performers are doing a bad job. It's not that. It is just everything around it basically letting it down a great deal. Sad times. Um, however, there was always way to move past that. And Michelle, if anything, became busier than ever in the years following, especially in um, cinema, working super frequently. Uh, between 2006 and 2011, we see her in the likes of Fearless, we've got Danny Boyle's Sunshine, 
Asif Kapadia's Far North, Babylon AD, the third in the Mummy franchise, um, The Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, uh, True Legends, Reign of Assassins, and as the voice of uh, Soothsayer in Kung Fu Panda 2. And that takes us to 2011, which would bring her performance as Nobel Peace Prize Laureate and Sang Suu Kyi in Luc Besson's biopic, The Lady. Mm. Yo cites the film as a labour of love after her involvement, stemming back to the script, which was where um, she was taken by the film, uh, which was written by Rebecca Frain. She worked a great deal on the development process after reading that script, doing a lot of reading and research into uh, its subject. Towards the end of her work in the film, she went to meet her as well, as she had become a hero of hers. She was initially at the point that she did go over, the only person actually granted a visa to go over to meet her, but was deported upon her second visit, which is something that did end up getting a lot of publicity at the time. But Michelle does still cite this meeting as everything she wanted it to be and cited it as a very important and kind of tying everything together for her in terms of her involvement in this film and getting to know this woman by portraying her. I didn't actually catch the lady, but I know you did. Um, mm. Please do share. I mean, the, I think it's very quickly summed up as a biopic that is too fond of its subject to the point of it becoming a bit bland. And that's wild because the story is so fascinating. And Aung Sang Suu Kyi is someone who is incredibly deserving or incredibly we like audiences would get a lot out of a story surrounding her but no this film is is just a bit um by the numbers biopic and even more so kind of focuses more on the husband particularly in the opening sort of section of it than even Michelle Yeoh and Michelle Yeoh is serving the plot like it's not a character driven film this is very much like this is what happens now this is what happens here and Michelle Yeoh is just there to perform those parts. And it even has, like, if we're, if you think of any biopic, or if you think of any biopic, like a musical one, for instance, or any of, like, as someone who's nervous for a bit, but then they find their voice, this literally happens. It may be a little late to be saying this, but you realise I've never actually spoken in public before. Well, there's no time like the present. We'll be watching from the side. But it's just so like, yeah, we knew this was going to happen in this sort of movie. So it loses all of its agency. It's a bit of a shame. Um, but I assume we'll get another film about Aung San Suu Kyi. And who knows? Maybe Michelle could play her, play her. Who knows? That could happen. But it needs to be somebody who's willing to be a bit more insightful of what they want to do with this film other than just mount a, a celebration of one person. Yeah. So not a not. So you didn't miss out. No, yeah, no. I'm not sensing a recommendation, um, coming from you. No. Okay, then. No. I'm sorry I didn't watch it with you, but I shan't be catching it now. And in terms of her career, like it makes sense, you know, Michelle would have wanted to try and 
you know, have an awards player. You know, a biopic is a quick way to do that. And I think that came out at the year of like the Iron Lady with Meryl Streep. So a really good example of somebody getting glory for playing a real life person. Um, so it is a bit of a shame that didn't even happen in a small way for her, even if the film's mediocre, because we see that happen for so many other people. So she she was clearly gearing up for dramatic chops without the martial arts and the action and the I don't know the beauty of the car choreography of something like members of a geisha even like she's moving away so it is an interesting one to watch for her career yeah no it, it certainly feels very important and it was very important to her um, and I think her involvement in it um, from watching some interviews with her was very consuming and and I think that kind of investment in a film is something that that probably struck something within her and would drive perhaps certain choices or help her to seek out certain things further down the line um yeah unfortunately though what wasn't that thing um is a few years later in 2016 when we do see her star in uh, a Netflix original sequel to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon called Sword of Destiny, which was definitely not a critical darling either, um, sadly, with it being compared very, very unfavourably to the magical original, citing that it was missing that. It was missing the magic. It was missing the poetry. It was mm. missing all these things. Um, I never did see the sequel, did you? No, no. no I would And I don't think many people have. I'll keep it as it is. Yeah. <laughs> in 2017, she began her starring role as Emperor Giorgio in Star Trek Discovery, which she then starred in until 2020. And there is an alleged spin-off in the works focusing on her character. So amongst all the many, many things that uh, Michelle does have upcoming... Maybe this is going to be something else. I, I really think with the, the momentum, how could they say no? If it's in the works, they're just going to have to mm. push it now. It, mm. In 2018, she had a cameo in the second Guardians of the Galaxy film, as well as starring in the hugely successful Crazy Rich Asians, which would go on to become the highest grossing romantic comedy of the past 10 years at the point it was released and the sixth highest grossing ever. Initially thinking the film would be tonally similar to The Hangover 2, she has to she had to ask director John Shu to make sure this wouldn't be the case because she thought a very valid question. If it's anything like that, then I don't really understand why I should be involved in this. And fair play to you, Michelle. Agreed. Yeah. You need more from this. Thankfully, he did convince her that it was going to be far more interested in its characters and there be a cultural exploration at the heart of all of this. And with that, she was given confidence to give her full involvement. Crazy Rich Asians, for those of you who haven't seen it, follows um, New Yorker Rachel Chu, who basically travels to Singapore with her boyfriend, played by Henry Golding, very, very handsome man indeed. Mm -hmm. Handsome, um, yeah. To, so he's going to go and, no, she's going to go and meet his family out in Singapore for a wedding that's happening out there. And Henry's mother is played by none other than Michelle Yeoh. And wow, this is really allowing her to have the full throttle matriarch moment yeah. that 
feels mm. like she could only do. She could only command the screen and say the things that she does. It is Michelle's. This this uh, role belongs to Michelle. She eats it up. I didn't come from the right family. Have the right connections. Anna thought I would not make an adequate wife to her son. But she came around, obviously. It took many years. And she had good reason to be concerned. Because I had no idea the work and the sacrifice it would take. There were many days when I wondered if I would ever measure up. But having been through it all, I know this much. You will never be enough. But I guess most excitingly, what Crazy Rich Asians um, did bring us was really putting Michelle back on the Hollywood radar. Following it up with uh, Last Christmas, directed by Paul Feig in 2019, starring as the owner of a Christmas shop in Covent Garden, uh, which is, I mean... A delightful thing. Whatever you feel yeah. about this film, and it is a very, very divisive yeah. film, <laughs> it's wonderful mm. to see Michelle Yeoh as the uh, owner of a Christmas shop in Covent Garden. You're not really called Santa? Of course not, idiot. I chose it for the shop. Really? Oh, and I worked at the pet shop. I called myself Kitty. She's so good. I mean, that's, to me, easily the highlight of that film. And her and Amelia Clark, who sometimes I think is good in the film sometimes I'm like oh who cast this person in a leading role even though I even though I really I do like her and I hate the idea of disliking anybody um particularly when she's clearly trying really hard to be likable um yeah but Michelle Yeoh's really fun um but I only ever watched it once because it was sold to us as a musical with George Michael music and it's it's not really that no I mean when the film came out, it was panned so incredibly that it did became it did become quite a hit because people were so intrigued by the film with this very peculiar present, a, a very peculiar premise. All you need to do is take the George Michael song "Last Christmas," break down the lyrics, and you're going to have the whole film in there. It is yeah. a funny funny mess in many ways there's things about it which make no sense but i don't think it is as bad as people made it out to be i think mm. it is enjoyable in many ways and we get henry golding again um on the same mm. screen as michelle yo so hey that's no bad thing but um not a hard recommend but definitely one for Christmas film completists, but I'm sure you've already seen it if you are part of that group. 2021, if we skip ahead a wee bit, then sees her star in a few other films. We've got Boss Level in there, Gunpowder Milkshake, and uh, a Marvel big hitter, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. But here we go. It is 2022, Yay. the year where we record, and it is this year where everybody is talking about Michelle once again for her amazing work in the truly unique everything, everywhere, all at once. 
Michelle said that she was particularly drawn to the character of Evelyn as she could see her as a real person and something that she hadn't necessarily had the chance to do before. An immigrant woman trying to do her best in trying circumstances, she said she could see Evelyn in so many of the people around her and felt that she needed to tell her story. It kept me as the actor grounded because I felt this character. And then it's really wonderful hearing her talk about what it meant to her when the Daniels, the, the directors of this film, came to her with this, initially with Jackie Chan, penned to star in it. It is so wonderful that they changed her mind and went to Michelle, did the rewrites, go to Michelle with it. And the, the film is so truly wild that initially I think she was a little baffled about it. Um, saying in an interview with GQ, how are you going to convince me to be a part of that? Because when I read the script, I thought this is something, something I've been waiting for a long time, which will give me the opportunity sh to show my fans, my family, my audience what I'm capable of, to be funny, to be real, to be sad. Finally, somebody understood I can do all of these things. And it's so true. Like, so there's many ways to enjoy everything, everywhere, all at once. But one huge way is simply admiring Michelle Yeoh's talent. Like that, the film gets to showcase all of that talent and more. Like she's, I, I feel like what she said is even being a bit humble. Like I think she's doing way more than, than that. She is playing essentially thousands of characters in all sorts of different realities and they're all believable from the way they move, the way they speak, the way they look, the way she just enters some of the rooms. Um, yeah, and I'm sorry, I'm now I'm just emotional because that is wonderful that she is aware of that, like that she's acknowledging that and she's embracing it and embracing this huge moment and Oh yeah, I'm just so I'm just so absolutely delighted that this worked out. And to be honest, even if the film was all right and it was just showcasing her talent, that's one thing. But that it's in one of the most exciting films of the last few years makes it even more exciting. Um, like I can't really think of anything else like it in many ways. So like we have this Chinese woman who owns a laundry shop with her husband and they're trying to sort out their taxes on the same day that her father has arrived um, from China and her daughter wants to introduce her girlfriend to the grandfather. Mom, what? Mom, just wait. Wait, wait, no time to wait just today. please. Joya, any other time I bet you to come and eat. Or call me or anything, but today very busy. Mom, this is literally what it's always Bro, like. my pain. I know you haven't always liked Becky, okay? But I like Becky. She's very nice. The energy of it is like boom, 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 boom. And you're like, God, this if this character, Evelyn, has to go through this every day, this is intense. And you understand totally why she behaves this way. Because she doesn't treat her daughter or her father or her husband very well. She treats her father too well, um, which obviously sets up the dynamic of why then she te treats other people that way. Um, and they then turn up to do a tax, uh, <laughs> a, a, it's not tax return, they're basically being questioned about their tax return by Jamie Lee Curtis, um, 
who is a civil servant I would never want to meet um, in terms of questioning what your expenses are. As a freelancer, she scares the shit out of me, the idea of someone like her. And so her husband, who's played by Kei Kwan, he suddenly like jerks his head, gets this umbrella out, covers um, the security um, uh, video camera, and is like, you need to do these things. We're in danger. We need you to save us. And suddenly she has become involved in this action story while also doing this tax returns meeting. And it is glorious. Like the film basically goes further and further and further into expanding that idea in terms of, you know, she can get different skills from different versions of herself, from different universes. And we also then spend time with different versions of Michelle Yeoh's character in those universes, as well as her husband and her daughters. And the film is a brilliant action film, but more than that, and why, like, when I rewatched it yesterday, I was like, this is incredible, is because it's, it's really about how insignificant we are as people in the gener- in the huge scheme of things, but also how significant we are to each other in a personal way. And the, the scenes between Michelle Yeoh and her daughter, played by Stephanie Hsu, and her husband, amazing, like, amazing. I was, like, so teary. And they're so good that there's a sequence where the daughter... And the mother and Michelle and Stephanie are rocks. And you know, you like their characters have been so well defined and so well performed that you know exactly what they're saying, who they're like. I can I envisage those people, even though I'm looking at rocks speaking yeah. in like typed words. Yeah, I think it's um, easily the most exciting film of the year. One that blends genre in a way that. I don't think we've ever seen in such a casual way. Like, you know, if you think of someone like Pedro Motivar, Quentin Tarantino, they're they're blending genre, but they're doing it to show off almost, to be like, look what we can do. This is why we're telling the story. Whereas here, it's like, no, we want this gentle, character-driven story about a woman who's at a point in her life where she's kind of given up or like resigned to certain things. Another year. Hmm? Pretending we know what we're doing, but really, we're just going around in circles. Doing laundry taxes and laundry and taxes. I just think it's wonderful and I could sing its praises. And all the little details in it, I just think are magical. Yeah, it's wonderful. It is, it is so important that they made the choice, and this is no slight on Jackie Chan, but to cast... Michelle Yeoh in the lead instead not also just because it's better to have a woman in the lead for subversive reasons or anything like that it just allows a complexity to the story that I think might not have existed the mother-daughter dynamic the story of a female immigrant character her struggles and more importantly her resilience is something that Michelle Yeoh is just bringing in spades in this and she is in this you can completely feel that she has taken as she describes as an opportunity where some people have finally seen her and her talents and has gone for it in the best way um like normally as we've mentioned we see her as this great kind of authoritative very often presence on screen and here 
she gets to play something entirely different and shows us what a gift she has. She is such a talent. He or she is funny. She's nervy. She's wired. I just love it. And the variety and scope and humour of the, the film that you describe is so unique. It's such a delight. And as Michelle Yeoh said herself, this film is about the character. It is about Evelyn. It's about Evelyn's journey and her journey to do the right thing for her family, even when it doesn't feel like she is, especially at the sort of um, opening of the film. But she describes the characters, Evelyn, as someone who never gives up. And that's why she relates to her so much, because Michelle, too, feels that she is someone who never gives up. And we are so glad of that, given this film. And we would be... Um wrong basically not to bring up the queer element to yeah, the absolutely. story so the daughter is queer is a lesbian um and that is central to the plot in that the main conflict is michelle will not acknowledge her daughter to her her daughter's sexuality to her father to the the grandfather and that develops in you know the villain of the story in the multiverse is you know talking about i never fit in the right box there is no right box and this is why this is happening this is where this hate has come this is where this disconnect this sort of like overwhelming displeasure with the world and you know wanting to tear down a thing which i feel like anyone that is in a minority can easily resonate with if you want to tear down like from my perspective the heteronormative parts of the society because you see the negative impact when a lot of people just take that casually as like well this is the norm and this makes most people happy so why would we and i think that's really well done without again being on the nose um i think all the performances are incredible this is a sort of movie where i would be um very unhappy if it was not nominated across the board for oscars um and i think you know, there's a world where they just nominate things like The Whale, which is a traditional kind of awardsy, actually film, you know, that sort of thing. But something about everything ever all at once is just so exciting and important and should be championed. And the performances should be championed, too. Um, yeah, if Michelle isn't at least nominated for Best Actress, I think that would be wild. And But sadly, I think that's, that could easily happen, too. Um, with the track record on Michelle Yeoh and any actors of Asian descent, it's been. I know that you, as you've mentioned before with Minari, there's been improvements, but not to the degree um, that they would wholeheartedly embrace an action type film and Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, but maybe I I'm hopeful. Like I, this is just me being very pessimistic. So that's to help me from being yes. disappointed. Yes, we want to avoid the disappointment, but I am hopeful because it feels, you know, more than right. It it feels right there in front of them. They would be foolish to not nominate this performance. Yeah, I honestly, I like, I found find it such a nourishing film, but also entertaining in a way that I can't think of many other examples that could rival no. it. No, I mean. If you couldn't say anything else about this film, except one thing, it is unique. It is truly unique. And with that alone, in the best way, you must see it. So hoping for 
very, very big things, of course. Uh, even if we are doubtful, surely, surely. Um, but in terms of everything that's sort of come since, and, and that came out this year, so although there shouldn't have been much, there have been a few. So she was a voice in Minions, The Rise of Gru, and Paws of Fury, The Legend of Hank, and has starred in another Paul Feig film, The School of Good and Evil, which, uh, as we record, came out not so long ago. So, uh, busy, busy as ever. And then, if we look at what's upcoming, my goodness, like you've mentioned, uh, we have coming this year still the new Avatar film. We're so many years on from the first one, but The Way of Water is upon us in a, a month or two's time. She's got The Witcher, Blood Origin. Uh, she's a voice in a Transformers film. She's in all of the other Avatar films that are cut upcoming over the next few years. Three, four, five is what she's credited in so far, but I think could keep going. So I'm so excited and thrilled to see that she has that much upcoming, but I do hope that there is room for other things in that busy schedule. I mean, they've probably filmed Avatar years ago now, right? So surely she's got time. <laughs> yeah, well, like, yeah, I'm imagining, because she's also doing, like, obviously the award circuit, hopefully getting Best Actress um, for everything, everywhere, all at once. Like, she's meeting all these people. I just assume all that is happening. Um, so, yeah, who knows what will come up in the next few weeks. Yeah, come on. Let's hope for good things. And and maybe we'll submit some fantasy picks of our own uh, at the end of the podcast. But first of all, I think you have a special gift to me and all of the listeners, yes? I do. I have the most random... Oh, it's not random at all, but it's a... Um... A quiz where myself and Scott both thought we were doing the quiz. So this is the very last minute thing. But you are going to get audio clips. And they're of mothers who have graced the big screen in the UK and Ireland's 2022 release date schedule. Okay. (laughs) Great. That's such a long-winded way of saying, basically, you have to guess who are the mothers. But that's great. Mothers of the Year in cinema. Okay, well, here is clip number one. (laughs) We got, we got, we got! Mother! Is everything okay? Don't get in here! What's going on, honey? Are you sick? Is it a fever? A stomachache? Chills? Constipation? Wait, is it that? Did the. Did the red peony bloom? No! Maybe. So that film in question is the wonderful animation Turning Red. I'm not sure I could give you the voice actors, though. So that is Sandra Oh that plays the mother. Oh, of course. Yes, Yes, of course it is. How lovely. But we'll give you that anyway. You've passed the first test. (laughs) (laughs) Well, half of it. Thank you. And what a mother. That's a great mother-daughter sort Mm -hmm. of movie. Okay, so number two, which I think might be slightly trickier. What exactly is going on here? Sorry, I don't know what you mean. He mows your lawn, you buy him a car. He mows it again, he moves in with you. Okay, so that's obviously an Australian mother. Australian 
Cinema. You may not have seen this film. I saw it kind of on an off chance. Um, but it was like um, an art house sort of hit, I'd say, and celebrated. Oh, I reckon then um, this is Judy Davis in Nitram. Correct. Is it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I have yeah. been meaning to watch that, but I haven't seen it yet. Yes, highly recommend this movie. Absolutely love it. Yeah, and it won the Best Actor Award at Cannes in 2021. Um, so, yeah, very good. Got your nailing this and judy davis always a delight always okay here we go number three i dread everything now the telephone the telegram there's only one thing worse than remaining in the past mother and that's begrudging the future the future without either of my sons is to be dreaded not enjoyed. Oh, that one's. Oh, that one's painful. I feel like it's so familiar, or in content at least. A future without over my sons. Whose voice is that? This is a film that I feel like you were Would really love. celebrating. And- <laughs> You know, you really like. I think you really liked it. I and I went to see it. I'm pretty certain because you really liked it. But I can't. I might have got this wrong. But I'm pretty certain that's true. Oh my god, that makes me feel even stupider. Then. Um, no, no. Future without both of my sons. I've tried everything. Telephone, telegram. A future without my sons. It's annoying me because it does sound really familiar, though. It's very familiar, and even the th- that content should be enough to make me go aha yeah it's um it's like a war british drama but you would have got that already from the film or from the clip even um these are not super famous people but it is it's directed by someone we actually talk about quite often and we did talk a lot in the most recent episode of joanna scanlon towards the end of it Oh, okay. So it's Benediction. It's Terence Davis's Benediction. Then, so that is the voice of is is it the voice of is it Geraldine James who's playing that? Yeah, okay, it is because there's lots of great women in that film, like Gemma Jones, um, Geraldine James, of course. Great. Oh yeah, Benediction. I am. I mean, I'm a massive fan of Terence Davis. Yeah. And can you name the son in it too? The child? The child in that moment... Is it Jack Loudon? Mr. Sir Ronan. Mr. Sir Ronan, of course. Sorry, to use the correct title. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you'd agree. Um, Okay, well, last but not least, I want you to identify mothers and daughters in this, sometimes both... (laughs) In the same character, in this final clip. They spend a few days together in the same resort more than 60 years ago, and he gives her a house. I suppose he wasn't just a lunatic. Well, I think it's marvellous of Granny to take care of Sibby, even if Monsieur de Montmorey was as mad as a rat. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so here we have uh, Downton Abbey, what the fuck was it called? The New Era? A New Era? The next yeah, era? that's it. 
Maggie Smith. What Maggie die? <laughs> yeah, the end of Maggie Smith era. Um, that makes me very sad. I can't speak anymore. Okay, four mothers. There, we have, of course, Elizabeth McGovern. Most importantly, yeah. We also Oscar nominee have Oscar nominee Elizabeth McGovern. I love it. Uh, we also have Penelope Wilton, of course. Uh-huh. We also have... Um, oh, God, this is where I can't... I won't even be able to remember their name. Michelle Dockery. Yeah. And finally... Oh, what's her name? Oh, um, something Cartwright... You know, you're you're so close yet so far. The character's name. So her character name is Lady Edith. Correct. Laura Carmichael. That is exactly is it. it. Okay. Yeah. Great. Full marks. And for um, an extra bonus point, who the hell are they talking about in that random clip? I don't even know what they were saying. <laughs> oh, my God. They're talking about... Somebody having this um, dalliance with someone who's now given them a house in the French Riviera era. Basically, Mamma Mia is yeah. what they're talking about. But so it's... they are talking about the past of Maggie Smith, of course. The past Maggie Smith, yeah. Um, wonderful. We did go see that film, Us, and two very lovely women um, who... Wasn't it really awkwardly like fat two rows in front of us, but like just in front of us? And I it think they were like, what are, these, what are these men doing here? I'm like, we're gay. Oh my God. It was just us and them in the screen. That is amazing. And one of Why the earliest films that we saw together in the cinema, probably. Why did we do it? Um, Imelda. Imelda and Maggie. No, and how Penelope could we not? Um, such drama. Okay, well, you have won um, whatever your heart desires. Um, Maggie Smith's house and the um, Riviera. Oh, my God. With all those people. Oh my, uh, me, you, Elizabeth McGovern, Michelle Yeoh, <laughs> oh Imelda Staunton buying Elizabeth a hat. Do you remember that scene? Yes, the most important <laughs> scene in the whole film. The moment where like, she gets what to she share doing? a special moment with her real-life husband. So charming. Absolutely, like... At least she got a holiday out of it, but um, amazing. Well, you can have the house, and now you can also go first in telling us what you would wish for Michelle Yeoh's future. Let's assume she gets she wins the Oscar, which p- could potentially happen, and all the doors are open to her. What are you wishing for? Weirdly, this one should have been very easy, but I think the answer is I want... I don't just want everything. Normally I go like, I want everything. No, I want specifically what she wants. I want directors to recognise her and give her the same dues that the Daniels did by knowing that she can do real, she can do funny, she can do sad, she can do it all. She's an incredibly gifted performer. I'm just going to go with the first name that came into my head. Should he wish to do more English language cinema, I think she should work with um, Pedro Almodovar. Because mm. he can bring female characters to life in a way that no other director can. Um, they are all of those things, uh, even when they're you know, heightened in a way that only Pedro does. They are still real, they are funny, they have sadness for the most part. 
and I do just think that she could be a wonderful addition to his world on screen. I don't know what specifically, but I just say, go on, Pedro, I think this is a perfect idea. I love that. I had to stop myself from suggesting Pedro Modavar because I feel like I mention him like every second <laughs> time I get to but, do this. Um, but mine is maybe a bit on the nose, but I would absolutely love a sort of brief encounter style romantic drama um, where, where Michelle is playing someone who, you know, by all accounts is happy with their life and then something sparks, you know, in her life. She's like, wow, maybe this is what I want. And it can be a romance like in Brief Encounter or whatever it might be, um, but a much more sort of dialed down version of uh, everything everywhere all at once that just kind of focuses on kind of just her going through her day or whatever it might be and would have Ang Lee direct that because Ang Lee gets that sort of tone very well. I mean, like Lust Caution, for instance, is yeah. an incredible underrated, I would say, Ang Lee film where that sensibility is at the forefront. But of course, like, as we said, sensibility, even the Ice Storm has it, um, Crouching Tiger and Dragon. There's plenty of examples of his work. But I'd love to, to see her. And if we were doing a romantic drama, like, I would love her matched with someone... I'm trying to think of who would be a really interesting, like, charismatic man of a, you know, in their 50s that she could be cast. Well, why not reunite her with Pierce Brosnan, who I think is a pretty good actor when he's given the opportunity to be. That could be a really lovely film. Set in Ireland, maybe. <laughs> I don't know why I'm setting well, it in Ireland. Why not? <laughs> that would now be going charming. wild. At least he's Irish. That's a start. That's a start. I wonder if Michelle Yeoh could do an Irish accent. That would be fun. Um, but yeah, I would love to see her in that sort of character-driven thing. Basically, I, I just want to see her and do, as you say, anything she would like to do. But I also think it would be a real treat to watch her in a romantic drama like that, which we don't get enough yeah. of anymore. Agreed. Absolutely. Okay. So, thank you all for joining us yet again. And thank you for joining us to talk about the wonderful Michelle Yeoh in particular. If you would like to find us and make any comments or suggestions and ping them our way, Michael, where can our lovely listeners find us? You can find us at don't know her underscore pod on Instagram or Twitter. At the moment, it's still Twitter anyway. I don't know what's... You won't find us unless you search for us. We'll be totally lost in the algorithm. <laughs> um, but if you search for us, you'll find us there. And we're very entertaining. Um, or you can drop us an email, either if you prefer, at don'tknowherpod at gmail.com. My, my pausing is doubt, self-doubt, <laughs> which is always on my shoulders um yeah we love like we've had some really interesting and exciting suggestions actually in the last few days which i totally encourage so please just let us know and um, tell us you know we already know michelle yo is a proper star so doing her for this podcast is a bit mad but you know what it's our podcast we're not hurting anybody no one's paying <laughs> us leave us alone <laughs> but also we're going to turn around and we're going to do some 
very unfamous people in the future. <laughs> very um... unfamous. Oh my god. <laughs> I hope we don't announce them as that when we get to that episode. And yeah, this like... week we're talking about the very unfamous Geraldine Laura James. Carmichael. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Actually, that is um I would love um when we talk about future things, we'll do like we'll do four episodes of really unfamous people. Anyway, we love to hear from you. We hope you enjoyed uh, listening to us and we hope you really enjoy if you are inspired to or you've already seen, but enjoy the films of Michelle Yeoh. Um, Yeah, I am always, um, or I am as always, grateful for doing this podcast and very uh, happy to spend time with you, Scott, doing it. Oh, thank you. It's always the pleasure of my time as well. It is wonderful to talk with you and to talk Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh. And soon Terry Hatcher will have her moment. <laughs> and every episode from now on will be around Terry Hatcher. <laughs> I hope so. All right, on that note, I will bid you adieu. Think about whether you sleep with a gun still under your pillow and hope you have a nice rest of your day. I hope you have the same. Thank you and goodbye.